Okay, welcome to episode 67 of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. Today I have Professor Luke Van Loon for you. Welcome, Luke. Hi, Lawrence. Nice to be here. Yeah. So, um, Luke, for those that don't know who you are, um, could you please give us a quick overview of, of who you are and, and, and what you do? Um, I'm a professor in Maastricht University, situated in the Netherlands, south of Holland. Um, basically, I run a research group in where we look at nutritional and exercise strategies to um, improve health and performance, both in healthy athletes, but also in more clinically compromised patients. Uh, my official title is Professor in Physiology of Exercise with specific interest in the role of nutrition herein. That's great. So um, I know there's all sorts of things we could chat about um, and, um, and no doubt we'll get into some of those areas that, that you've mentioned that you're, you, you, know, you have research interest in. Um, but lately, I've been doing quite a few podcasts on protein in its various forms, um, muscle protein synthesis, that sort of thing. And we've come at this at different angles. Um, I guess I could, I could summarize them all into several themes, which would be um, sort of three T's, total, type, and timing. So we talked about the merits of um, all the, the, the appropriate amounts of protein, that should be consumed with people like Stu Phillips um, and Kevin Tipton, who I know you know. Um, we've also gotten into things like um, molecular signaling, mTOR and so on. So I've had Keith Barr on, um, 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 all sorts of, of, of people have been, uh, Lee Hamilton, of course. Um, but the thing that we haven't really gotten into so much is timing. Um, I have spoken to various people about nutrient timing in general, the, um, the positives and negatives of that, um, but we've never specifically talked about timing of protein, and in particular where the research seems to be going, which you have played a major role in, is the idea of um, protein ingestion um, before sleep or at bedtime, um, because it um, may play a role in increasing muscle mass and strength gains. Um, so perhaps you could could sort of start us off with um, just a quick idea as to why um, it's important to ingest uh, protein at night time. So as most of the listeners will know and you know is that exercise stimulates protein synthesis as well as breakdown. But uh, protein balance will remain negative without food intake. Now, you know all these studies that have been published showing that if you take, if you ingest protein immediately after exercise, you see a greater increase in protein synthesis, a lower um, uh, in, in attenuated increase in exercise-induced muscle protein breakdown, thereby allowing protein balance to become positive. And this is the reason why athletes take protein after exercise to augment the adaptive, adaptive response to exercise training. Now, these studies are generally done in, in, the, in an overnight fasted state, and in fact, most of us, most of the, at least the recreational athletes, perform exercise in the evening. So we started doing studies uh, in the evening where people came in after dinner, standardized dinner, and then performed exercise and ingested the 20 grams of protein to optimize post-exercise recovery. But then we were interested in what happens overnight. And during the sleep, we did a few studies and measured actually that protein synthesis during sleep is actually quite low. 
even though we ingested 20 grams of protein immediately after the exercise session that was performed in the evening. So we decided thinking about why is protein synthesis at night while we sleep not increased? Is this because there's not enough amino acids as precursors for muscle protein synthesis? So in order to get an answer to that, we needed to know whether the gastrointestinal tract works uh, when we sleep. Mm. So we did an, uh, basically an in a mechanistic study in where we put 40 grams of protein by a nasogastric tube in elderly people while they were sleeping. And that showed that the protein was actually digested and absorbed while they were sleeping. And the next morning I could wake them up with a muscle biopsy and I saw that the protein that was provided at 2 o'clock at night was actually digested and absorbed and used to build new protein. So that was the starting point to see whether protein ingestion prior to sleep gives an additional value to increase overnight protein synthesis. Since then we've done a few studies where we provide people with 40 grams of protein in addition to the 20 grams that are ingested after exercise performed in the evening and we see that it increases protein synthesis at night allowing a greater net protein balance overnight. Now this is of course an interesting point because does it actually have a benefit? And that's what we followed up with a long-term study to see whether protein ingested prior to sleep as opposed to no protein can further increase the gains in muscle mass and strength during three months of resistance type exercise training in young guys. And we actually saw that the protein supplementation, in this case provided prior to sleep, further increased strength as well as muscle gains, muscle mass gains. So also in the long term, it seems to work. Now, there's a lot of discussion whether it's the timing on itself or whether it's the actual the protein supplementation. Hmm. I have to understand that most of the research is not very clear on whether protein has a benefit at all. However, Naomi Cermak did a meta-analysis showing that it does, but most studies do not have the right timing, the right protein type, or the right protein amount supplemented over that long-term training response to see actually a benefit of protein. Now, I hope everything is clear so far. A more recent study that has not even been published yet, we looked whether the response, the overnight muscle protein synthetic response, is actually a greater response when you look at the breakfast the next day after an exercise session performed in the evening. And this is a surprising study because we found that the muscle protein synthetic response to breakfast the next day after uh, a training session is still just as big either when you had no protein at all the evening before or you actually had 80 grams of protein. In other words, if you provide enough protein after a training session for the next 12 hours, you gain a benefit and you can actually stimulate a greater adaptive response. And that is now the status of our research on overnight protein synthesis. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, look, I, I, love, I love the idea that um, you mentioned there that you woke up your participants with a biopsy. <laughs> you don't need an alarm clock in your lab, you just get out the needles. <laughs> yeah, works perfect. <laughs> So, you know, as I mentioned to you off air, um, you know, my main interest with this is, is how we take this information as, as uh, practitioners, you know, we're, we're looking at the science, clearly you have a lot of variables to control for, um, as I just mentioned, sticking needles into people um, is, is not 
so great for people's uh, sleep and you probably wouldn't find too many people um, uh, volunteering uh, for that. But also, like in your original research on the nasogastric um, feeding um, study, that, two, that 2011 study that you guys were doing, um, there's that business of, of um, you know, the, the, the invasiveness of the whole intragastric thing um, is obviously an issue. So for those of us that are not looking to do the research, um, but we're entirely practical about this, could you maybe just help us understand what the potential difference would be from simply ingesting the protein um, late at night um, or as an evening snack or, or whatever and these other methods that have been looked, looked at, i.e. the nasogastric situation? So the nasogastric tube we used in order to address the research question, does the gut function, the gastrointestinal tract, does that function while we are sleeping? Mm. If you give somebody protein while he's still, it's still awake and then that person falls asleep, then I can never prove that it was actually functional at sleep. So that's a merely academic question. Yeah, so I, to address that question, we put a nasogastric tube in people so that while they were sleeping, we could provide their stomach with protein. This is by no means a suggestion to do this in practice, unless it's clinical practice. So this is merely a proof of principle study to understand that the gut can function at night. So the normal practical version is to take a bolus of protein before going to sleep. Now in that proof of principle study and the following up studies, we so far always used 40 grams of protein. Whether this is the ideal amount, whether a greater amount has a greater benefit or a smaller amount has less of a benefit has not been researched yet. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad you said that. And of course, the, the, there's other thoughts, of course, you know, um, that amount of protein um, would have a certain impact in terms of your ability to digest, you know, and absorb that. Um, perhaps a much larger amount of protein would perhaps be more, more work for the gut, uh, for the digestive system. Um, but I guess we, you know, th these things are difficult to determine. But I think the main point there is, because people will discuss, you know, you shouldn't eat things late at night because your digestion turns off uh, before you go to sleep. So clearly you've shown that that isn't the case. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so just going back to some basics then, because one argument that people are gonna say is, you know, this, this is all great, but just how relevant is this in the real world? Um, there's, there's got to be a certain uh, context involved here, of course. Different people have different needs. This sort of approach is going to be more relevant to some people and not so relevant to others. So if, if we go back to an average person or an average athlete, if there is one, um, their primary focus would be the total amount of, of protein that they ingest f throughout the day. Um, if, if they're already... Um, ingesting you know the appropriate amounts of protein per day as long as we we control for that we've made sure that that is happening the significance of the pre-bed feeding would be what now if I look at the uh, the, the athletes or the recreational uh, athletes that we did the resistance training study the Tim Snyder study with they actually gained more muscle mass, even despite the fact that they were, the control group, was already ingesting 1.3 grams per kilogram body mass per day. 
which is quite a large amount. So feeding extra protein can further augment the adaptive response to training, both from a strength as well as a muscle mass perspective. Now the big question is, would we have been able to attain the same effect if we had given the additional protein in the morning, spread over the five meals? We can't determine from that study. But most studies actually cannot show a benefit of protein. However, if you give the right amount of protein at the right time, you can. And that is exactly what we did in this study. And we believe that providing protein prior to sleep is a very smart one because we have a net negative muscle loss during the night. Yeah, no, I, and I think working with lots of people myself, um, particularly recreational athletes, I know that they're really busy during the day. And it is, an op it is often the reported that you know they missed a meal or missed a snack and that is when they tend to refer um, to their supplementation strategy sometimes they do that a bit too quickly you know uh, it's, it's, it's in many ways it's easier to have a protein shake or a protein bar than it is to have um, a protein rich meal and I've mentioned many times on this podcast there's some important issues there which is we don't just eat protein we eat food um, and we eat meals that contain food um, and if all we're trying to do is hit our protein needs and getting it from supplementation, it could well be at the expense of other, other nutrients you know, found in those, in those foods, which I would think is an issue. So with regards to that, and we'll get more into some mechanistic stuff about how this actually works in a minute, but um, you know, we're not, are you just talking about any type of protein at bedtime or you know, is there... Um, a specific form of protein that you've been looking at that seems to have this, this you know, has a better impact than, than the others? Obviously, uh, a high quality protein would be preferred, um, but what is the most high quality protein uh, in this case for pre sleep feeding? We don't know because so far we've only worked with uh, casein or with milk protein, and milk protein is 80% casein. So whether whey or uh, different types of protein or egg protein has a bigger effect than uh, mixed milk or plant-based proteins has all not been assessed in the, in the overnight response. So I couldn't give an answer. I assume that any protein that is rapidly digested and remains uh, digested throughout overnight providing enough amino acids to sustain or to allow an increase in protein synthesis should be sufficient. But again, we don't even know whether the protein synthesis that we see happening overnight happens mostly immediately after the protein feeding in the first part of the night or actually the last part of the night, whether it's continuous or intermittent. We have no clue because it's really difficult to let people sleep overnight, overnight while sticking biopsy needles in them. So there's no way of figuring this out. We can only take a biopsy in the morning when they wake up. Yeah. So, because of course, you know, if one looks to the supplement industry, that they um, they would have us believe that they've been ahead of us on, on all this, and uh, you've got all their sort of various um, bespoke concoctions of, of sort of bedtime feedings. Uh. I think your grandma was opposed, was was in front of things because she said have that glass of milk before going to bed. Absolutely. And it's not the supplement companies telling you uh, that they are ahead of things. Yeah. The old style bodybuilders were already doing part of this uh, in the past. Yes, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to differentiate, um, I guess, what is um, 
you know, what they call bro science or, you know, what, what actually has some proper logic behind it, but not necessarily the science, because that's what our, our ancestors or, um, you know, uh, certain types of athletes like boxers and bodybuilders sometimes have been doing these things intuitively and the science hasn't yet caught up with it. But what's clear from your research is there is a benefit um, from doing this. The timing, I guess... Um, is also um, it's, it, it, it's not just it's not just that it's done at night uh, before bed, but what also I'm seeing in this is that it's also a, a pragmatic sort of practical um, way of getting that protein feeding in. It, it, do you, I mean, what do you feel about the actual practicality of this? If you think about uh, that, it would be smart to take four or five meals. I mean, this is this is for athletes that want to gain a lot of weight and gain a lot of mass, not necessarily weight, but mass, muscle mass. Uh, basically, we advise 20 grams, at least 20 grams of protein immediately after exercise session, but also all the protein divided over various uh, main meals throughout the day. Now, if we're talking about four or five meals with a few hours in between, then you easily come up the fact that you have to take some protein prior to sleep, so it's not that surprising. Yes, and um, one thing I wanted to ask you, which would be a bit of a recap for, for folks that haven't yet listened to the podcast with Stu Phillips, uh, Kevin Tipton, uh, um, but also the, the molecular uh, signaling and molecular biology podcasts I've done with people like Lee Breen, Keith Barr and um, Lee Hamilton, um, uh, which, which are fascinating, so the listeners really should listen to those. Could you just give us a quick overview, though, as to what actually happens when we're consuming protein um, as it relates to muscle protein synthesis? Now, we just finished a study with our approach using intrinsically level protein so we can track the digestion and absorption and also the deposition of orally ingested protein into skeletal muscle tissue. So, what we have shown, and this is all still data that has to come out, that if you ingest 20 grams of protein, about 50% of that protein, or the amino acids in that protein, is released into circulation over a five hour period after protein ingestion. Those say around uh, 10, 11 grams of amino acids, are then taken up by skeletal muscle tissue, not all of it, about uh, half of that is taken up, and at the end, you actually use 2.2 grams of a single bonus of 20 gram protein to build new muscle within uh, a five hour period. So from every meal, 2.2 grams of amino acids will actually be integrated in new muscle protein within five hours meaning you are what you just ate. So every meal provides you with precursors for the novo, so new muscle protein synthesis. So that's why it's important to take various, various meals throughout the day with sufficient protein to actually allow this, this anabolic response to occur. So given that um, not everyone trains in the morning, of course, um, people will, will train at various times of the day. They'll have days where they don't train of course, um, but they are still managing to consume sufficient protein, um, let's say three, four times a day. Mm -hmm. The significance of this late night feeding, um, from what I've read in your, in your papers, goes um, beyond just the fact that they're hitting their protein needs during the day to the fact that when we're asleep, obviously, we're not eating. 
um, and we are going to sleep for a protracted um, amount of time, um, let's say six hours for some, maybe eight to ten hours for others, but that is the longest period of time in our 24-hour day that we would go without eating something, because in your normal day, yeah, you might not have breakfast at the usual time or lunch, you might miss lunch and have it a bit later, but you're never going to go for six to ten hours without feeding. It is that where you think it's more, it's more than just a case of convenience to eat at night. It's actually a sensible strategy. I think it's a sensible strategy because throughout the night we lose muscle protein because we are in a net negative balance. Now, uh, a different discussion is, of course, is it smart to eat all day and provide even uh, food prior to sleep? I think it needs to, the athlete or the individual needs to, needs to decide what is most important. For some people it's, it's losing weight, most people actually, but for many athletes that want to gain muscle mass over a period of time, then providing protein prior to sleep to, uh, to uh, accelerate recovery and maximize the adaptive response, that will be the right strategy. But yeah. that doesn't mean that I have to. That that I think that, that everybody has to start eating a large amount of uh, of protein prior to sleep. But it can help to adapt to, for example, a very strenuous period of uh, intense intensified resistance type exercise training. So yeah, because I'm I'm all about context, Luke. So I, I think what you're saying is, you know, for for the average person, and we're not necessarily talking about an athlete or. Um, older people, especially older men, I want to get into that in a second. You know, I guess the total daily intake is the most important thing. But as your needs become more special, um, or as your goals become, you know, harder to achieve, uh, more ambitious goals, like, like you're, you're already a trained athlete, you've got muscle mass, but you're trying to maximize that increase of muscle, or particularly with bodybuilders, for example, um, and um, um, old, uh, people that are aging, particularly men, and I want to focus on that in a second. It, you know, uh, is that is that where you feel this is this is more more pertinent? This this is an effective way to maximize the uh, muscle the gains in muscle mass and strength during prolonged resistance type exercise training. If you're not interested in gaining as much uh, muscle mass as possible then, of course, uh, it is of less relevance. But especially when you feel that you need more nutritional support to help you recover, um, then this is a, is a very interesting strategy. Absolutely. So, I, I just mentioned, you know, people with sort of special needs or, or um, special nutritional needs, I should say. Um, one of the areas that I saw in uh, your paper, or one of your papers, um, which I'll reference at the end of the podcast, was um, this role that this might have in um, people as they age, where there is um, an issue with uh, um, their protein needs as it relates to loss of muscle, sarcopenia. I've discussed this with Lee Breen um, in the past, but Perhaps you could explore that with us as to what's going on with people as they age, especially men, um, and this whole business of, of muscle mass and how this strategy could well be a very sensible one for them. So when we become older or less active, then we um, lose or we reduce our sensitivity uh, of our skeletal muscle tissue to the anabolic properties of amino acids. In other words, 
when we are inactive or old and inactive, the anabolic response to the ingestion of a single bolus of protein is attenuated. So if you don't get the same muscle protein synthetic response to breakfast, lunch and dinner, you might want to compensate it by increasing the amount of protein, changing the meals, or actually adding a fourth meal. And of course that fourth meal could be prior to sleep. It prevents you from muscle loss at night, and it might actually cause a fourth stimulating response to help you maintain preserved muscle mass. Now, this gets even more important for, for example, more clinically compromised patients that lie in the hospital that are very insensitive to amino acids or in protein ingestion on the whole because simply the inactivity like bed rest and single leg immobilization have all been shown to reduce the sensitivity of skeletal muscle tissue to the anabolic properties of amino acids. Now in those cases, it might be interesting to at night prevent must net muscle loss by stimulating, providing basically a fourth meal throughout the day and then occurring at night. Yeah, no, thank you. I, as you were saying that, I thought that it would be worth us having a quick discussion also about um, this concept of protein balance. You guys always, you, you refer to things like protein balance, you talk about um, fractional synthetic rate, um, you know, maybe, you know, this is relevant to any conversation really when we talk about why we need to eat certain amounts of protein and, and in this situation about when we need to eat it. You know, if we go back to the basics of why we're eating protein, why we need a certain amount of protein um, and maybe, you know, possibly how it might relate to the relevance of timing, um, could you just give us a, a quick overview of that please? I don't think I can give a quick overview on that extensive <laughs> question because that basically is a whole field of research. It is, yes. And in short, um, protein balance is a, difficult, is a difficult concept because we as humans are still walking around this planet and that means that we're quite capable of adapting to a high or low protein intake diet. So people can maintain protein balance on various diets. And there's actually studies showing that people can, can sustain protein balance for an extended period of time, even on a low-protein diet. So, the big question is, what is your intention? Maintaining protein balance or not maintaining protein balance? Because if you are gaining muscle, you have to be in a positive protein balance. And it takes a lot of effort to actually gain muscle mass. And for that, you actually have to ingest more protein than what is required for only uh, gaining the muscle. So your stimulus has to be much bigger in order to augment the adaptive response. That's why people trying to gain muscle mass with dietary intervention in, com in combination with exercise have to actually set a greater stimulus than simply maintaining protein balance. So you mentioned something just then about um, adaptation to um, protein intake and I think that that's a fascinating area because it, of course we you know we, we sort of have this thing in society where more is better you know like oh I've got, I've got to get more protein um, let's just get as much protein as we can in because we need we need all of that to 
uh, get the maximal response. But of course, you talk to the you know the signaling guys, and they're like, well, hang on, because only a certain amount of protein is needed to stimulate mTOR, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how? how I mean, the, the the funny thing is that people with the signaling that only focus on signaling are always just talking about signaling, but signaling is only a very small part of the total response. So the, the signaling is just protein synthesis on the muscle level, mm. but at the same time you need all these other things. I mean, for example, you can actually have 5,000 construction workers, workers on, a, on a building site, but if you're not delivering any bricks, Adding 50, not a 50 uh, more construction workers is not going to help you build a house. Mm. So it's both the signaling, basically setting the, 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 the traffic lights on green, but you also need the cars to fill up a parking lot. So you need to have amino acids as precursors at the right time while the, opti well, while the signaling is optimal. So simply looking at the signaling only gives you a snapshot of what is happening at a certain moment in time doesn't give you insight what the protein synthesis has been over an extended period of time. Yeah, uh, Stu Phillips gave us a similar analogy, so I love, I love the, uh, the similarities to that. It's, it's great. I guess it's sort of a logistic issue. It's supply and demand, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, just going back then to this idea of um, the way you've done the studies, um, I, I think it's worth understanding a bit more about how you go about this kind of study. You've mentioned things like nasogastric feeding. I know that was a specific study more to determine or answer the question, do we still digest um, when we're asleep? And yes, we do. But these current studies and maybe your future studies, you know, we're, we're talking about things like biopsy studies, but there's, there's a lot of problems with that. How, I mean, what, you know, what, in your mind, what, 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 needs, you know, what needs to be done in terms of setting up these studies? And also just to help us understand a bit more about the sheer complexity that goes behind finding out this sort of information. So in the past, people did um, tracer studies where whole body balance studies were done. I mean, we've heard about the nitrogen balance studies. Uh, you can also look at the kinetics of amino acids, but all, the, uh, all those effects are not necessarily reflective of what is happening in muscle. So to, in order to understand what is happening in muscle, especially on a short term after a short stimulus, just as exercise or food intake or electrical stimulation, you need to have tracer studies with muscle biopsies being taken to see what is actually happening in skeletal muscle tissue. Of course, after that, understanding what is happening and what the physiological relevance is, you have to do this in a more long-term intervention, for example, during training or immobilization or bed rest, in a more long-term intervention. The combination of both studies tell us how things should work and do work. Very good. So if, if we, you know, just think about just being practical about this, because the listeners are listening to all this. Of course, they've heard other people, you know, talk about the importance of varying levels of protein intake. We've mentioned a lot of these things just now. But in terms of just practically, well, OK, I, I'm, I'm going to buy into this idea of um, ingesting protein um, before bed. Um, but we also know that Everyone um, has different likes and dislikes for different types of proteins. Um, they have different. They have sort of an idea of different needs. Some people are just trying to maximise their 
their protein um, you know, intakes for the day, so to speak. Some people are um, obviously bodybuilders and, and so on. I mean, is there any, is there any just one way of doing this? Or, or I mean, what, from, a, you know, from a practical standpoint, what would you recommend? Depends entirely what your aims are. If you want to make um, gain as much muscle mass and strength as possible doing prolonged resistance type exercise training, I think it's smart to eat at least four or five times a day about 20 grams of protein. Time your protein at least after your exercise session and ingest some protein prior to sleep. I think those are, that is the general advice and that can help you to maximize gains in muscle mass and strength. If you're not interested in gaining uh, as much as possible, then of course a more moderate, uh, normal, good uh, diet is more than enough to actually allow you to gain muscle. Yeah, I think it's nice to keep it simple, isn't it? People do tend to over-science this stuff and it all becomes incredibly complicated. Um, so, uh, if we just go back to a basic point then, the difference between um, real food um, and supplementation, I know we can argue that certain protein supplements are real food, I guess, but I mean, do you, do you feel that we should get bogged down into bespoke um, nighttime feeding products or, 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 or what? I generally think that uh, our, our term of uh, supplementation uh, needs a definition here because everybody uses it in a different way. If I discuss protein uh, supplementation during a prolonged resistance type exercise training, that doesn't mean I'm using a specific supplement. I could be using um, yogurt or meat or milk or cottage cheese or Greek yogurt or eggs or specific protein powders. I mean, everything is possible. It could be normal food. If you're advising people to ingest some protein prior to sleep, that could be just a, a, a nice snack with some uh, some Greek yogurt with fruit, for example. So, do you just just from a, again from a, a practical point, but also to make sure that we're interpreting this this correctly? Um, when we talk about ingesting this prior to sleep, some people are going to be thinking, "Oh, well, maybe that's just you know um, maybe after dinner, uh, supper." Um, maybe they just have a very late dessert, for example, which is could be their their yogurt, you know, their um, their Greek yogurt or or whatever high protein uh, uh, dairy product, or um, you know, literally uh, just before they go go to bed. Now that we know that it doesn't really affect digestion, um, I'm just thinking of some 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 rather practical stuff. Like they've also got to brush their teeth before they go to bed. Um, you know, literally how close to um, before bed would you recommend uh, they do it? I think that depends on your training session. Because if you take four or maybe five meals with 20 grams of protein throughout the day, and you're getting up at 7 o'clock and you go to bed at 12 o'clock, then you can calculate what would be smartest. Yeah, so they don't, I think the thing is they just don't need to go... They don't need to go crazy about being, you know, specifically X minutes before they go to bed. It's it's sort of whatever's practical. It needs to be late evening, obviously, because as soon as you go to sleep, you've got that six to ten hour time window. Um, so the closer to that point, you know, the better I would assume. I wish I was living in your reality where you have ten hours of sleep, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Trust me, I've got a nine-month-old baby at home. I don't get any sleep. <laughs> no, so so overall, I think it's smart to take some protein prior to sleep if there's a long period where you don't expect to eat. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. But to be honest, I mean, how how um, how important is 200 grams of muscle gained in half half a year? For some people, it's 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 the world. For other people, they couldn't care less. So it really depends on, on the athlete or the person. I mean, if you, we always have, I mean, I see a lot of patients as well, and then you put everything more in, in perspective. How important is it for a bodybuilder or a deadlifter to take, uh, to, or a bench presser to be able to lift 100 grams more, or for an older lady that can't get up from the toilet and has to go to the, to the, uh, to the elderly home, because she can't, she can't just help herself anymore going to the bathroom. What is most important? Yeah, uh, and I'm always encouraging, well, I encourage myself to do this, but I encourage my, my students and the listeners of this podcast is, you know, all this information that they're getting um, uh, just by listening, um, whatever they get from their lecturers, whatever they, they get from reading papers, this all adds to our sort of toolbox of information. And we... We, as practitioners in particular, need to know when, you know, what is the right tool for the right job, when to use it, and so on and so forth. And that's why I'm always talking about context. But if you don't understand the mechanisms behind it, it's very difficult to know how to use, you know, that tool in the right situation and, 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 and so on. And that, that, that I believe, like, this topic has been nicely expanded by yourself. So I I'm, I'm very much appreciate that. Um, so just before we end, end the podcast then, Luke, you know, where do you see future research going in this area? Overall protein? Or, um, uh, with, particularly with the night time, with night time in particular, yeah. I think it's relevant to see what kind of adaptation occurs throughout the night. Uh, because, of course, we have the adaptive response to resistance training, which is more or less structural protein uh, expression and in gaining strength and muscle mass. But of course, we also have endurance type exercise training where we actually are focusing on uh, mitochondrial biogenesis or fat oxidative capacity or fat oxidation and those things. So, in general, what kind of adaptation occurs, which proteins are being expressed to a greater extent when you provide protein in beef prior to sleep, um, what kind of protein would be best, what, kind, what is the right amount, uh, who can benefit from it, athletes, non-athletes, patients. Uh, what is the desired administration mode? Um, so there's, there's so many questions that we still need to look at. And then, of course, the long-term response. Can we improve muscle mass and function in, in athletes not participating in training? Or in uh, patients not participating in training? Or in endurance athletes versus resistance type athletes? So team sports? Um, I mean, I can think of about 50 years of research on this topic only. Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, just how much we don't know, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that we, you know, we, we make assumptions about what we know and, and how we put that into the real world. And yeah, actually, the research itself has barely scratched the surface. And that's I'd like to actually make that even more stringent because um, if I give a presentation and a lecture, mm. I always ask people to look at their own arm and then to realize that two to three months from that moment, their arm is new, is completely broken down again and built up again. Yeah, amazing. Because our skeletal muscle tissue turns over at a rate of one to two percent per day. 
that means to 50 to 100, 100 days, your bone muscle is all completely renewed. So basically what we're doing in training, everybody thinks I gained 200, but in the meantime, actually broken down everything as well. So you basically produced kilograms of muscle. It's unbelievable how, how rapid that turnover rate is actually happening in your body, that you're, you're making those proteins every day on a daily basis with every meal. It's remarkable. And we, ha we have no idea how it functions. Yeah, it, it's amazing, uh, and that goes for everything in the body, doesn't it? Apart from the, uh, the skeleton, which um, uh, I read somewhere, I think it, it, I could be wrong, and someone feel free to uh, correct me on this, but I think that's only a couple of or the parts of it are, own, you know, maybe a couple of years old, that sort of thing. But the tissues in our body, blood cells, uh, you know, our eyes, uh, our digestive system, everything is replaced within you know minutes, days, and months. It's incredible. Um, and like you say, we are what we eat for the most part, or we are what we get out of what we eat, I guess. But um, listen, Luke, thank you so much uh, for your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, just uh, for the listeners who, who want to find out more about your research, um, I mean, I, for example, some of the papers I was looking at was your um, um, 2015 paper uh, in the Journal of Nutrition. Um, but on um, uh, ResearchGate, I'm sure they can catch up with lots of your work. But how do people find out more about um, you and your research, i.e. websites or uh, Twitter, that sort of thing? So I don't Twitter much. Uh, basically, I don't Twitter at all. But um, we have a website, www.m3research.nl. Uh, um, uh, and then uh, that has information of our research group, our publications, has pictures of the intrinsic label protein, how to do tracer studies and all of that stuff, and individual members of our research group. No, thank you, that's great. Yes, lots of people on uh, Twitter and social media spending lots of time on there also means they're not spending a lot of time doing research or... Uh, <laughs> I'm or glad you're saying that instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a funny relationship with social media, but um, it's it's a weird, it's a weirdly addictive thing, but it's dangerous too. Um, so that brings us to the end of uh, this episode uh, number sixty seven. Um, once again, thank you, Luke, for, for your time. Um, I'd uh, just like to say thank you to the uh, sponsors of the podcast, which is Healthspan Elite, um, who make uh, informed sport um, accredited. Sports Nutrition Supplements, that's at healthspanelite.co.uk. Um, if you want to learn more about the podcast, uh, please go to www.guruperformance.com. If you're interested in learning more about this stuff, you can learn more uh, via our website at guruperformance.com or um, gain qualifications. For example, our international ISSN diploma at issndiploma.com or come learn with me at the University of Middlesex, where I run the MSc in Sports Nutrition Program. Um, I, of course, am Laura Bain. I look forward to speaking to you all very soon. <laughs>